Connecting Dots is brought to you by Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing, a true fiduciary based investment advisor. Go to fixedcostinvesting.com. It doesn't get any better. Well, the shooting of retired Boston Red Sox player David Ortiz received the usual attention by the typical lame stream media outlets. The video of the shooting makes the actual event crystal clear. And that is the focus for nearly everyone but us. This is Paul Truesdell, and you are listening to Connecting Dots. So the attempted murder of David Ortiz in the Dominican Republic by a lone gunman who has since been arrested along with eight others is a sensational story. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But there's a story here that is not being discussed. And the story is why. And just for the record, people rarely have someone gunning for them. Let me repeat that. People rarely have someone gunning for them. And in a public and overt way in which this was done, somebody's not happy with this guy. Now, unless there's a lightning rod issue, individuals are not targeted. Politicians tend to be targeted. People stalk famous people. But in this case, this was just a pure, unadulterated, and attempted assassination. Now, what will make headlines with some news organizations is the fact that one of the suspects, a fellow by the name of Cruz, who's 25, is wanted in New Jersey. And New Jersey authorities are accusing him of committing at least two armed robberies in 2017. Now, prosecutors in the Dominican Republic have made a statement that, uh, well, the suspects were paid about $7,800 to carry out the attack. However, they're not discussing the motive, but the plan and the to release the details in the very near future with a complete narrative of who the mastermind was. Now, for those of you who are not following this, the ambush took place in a thing called the Dial Bar and Lounge in East Santo Domingo. And according to Ortiz's friends in the Dominican Republic, Ortiz oftentimes went to popular night spots in the Dominican Republic, okay, especially in East Santo Domingo. And um, he didn't have any security people with him. What he said, and he actually is quoted as saying, he has trust in his fans to protect him. Now, look, there's a lot of issues here that we're going to discuss. And you're going to have to lighten up if you are a sports fan of David Ortiz, if you're a sports fan of baseball or the Boston Red Sox, if you are one of those who has a really thin skin and wants to jump on things emotionally, you need to take a big giant chill pill. Because this event may not have been preventable and unlikely uh, would it have been even if Ortiz had security. However, it calls into question the need for advertising and spokespersons to have contracts that specify individual behavior, including security that they hire for themselves. Now, recently, Arnold Schwarzenegger was kicked in the back by a nut, a man who was in South Africa screaming that he needs a Lamborghini. Now, Schwarzenegger was attending the Arnold Classic in South Africa. Now, Schwarzenegger travels with a substantial private security force, but um, here's the thing. He didn't have any long-term sustainable injuries that we know of, and he was rapidly taken care of by his bodyguards who also took care of the attacker. But here's the thing with Schwarzenegger, anyone who has ever done security knows that you can't just look forward at the people that are looking at the celebrity or whoever's in high profile. You have to cover their back. And this case, they dropped a ball. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And after action report, somebody didn't catch this guy and didn't have his back. So now let's go back to Ortiz. 
In October 2009, Ortiz opened a nightclub called 4040 in the Dominican Republic. Now, that's a key item because in April 2010, there's a rapper and a producer. You may have heard of him. His name is Jay-Z. And he has a business partner called Juan Perez. Now, Jay-Z and his business partner sued Ortiz for trademark infringement, alleging that the name, again, 4040, the name of Ortiz's nightclub was stolen from Jay-Z's chain of sports clubs in New York. Now, in March of 2011, Ortiz reached a settlement and uh, settled out of court with uh, Jay-Z and Perez. Well, let's continue. We've got a couple items here that we should remember. Now, generally speaking, baseball players oftentimes earn more money through endorsement deals than they do on their time on the field. And companies know that putting a familiar face on their packaging and in their commercials can really help them reach more customers and make a course sales. Now, while baseball players usually don't make as much as, say, basketball players, some players in baseball literally make millions of dollars in deals with top companies. And when it comes to David Ortiz, his current net worth in 2019 is estimated to be about $45 million. Now, Ortiz earned a lot of money in his contracts with the Boston Red Sox. He earned about $160,197,500 to be precise. So once you think about this, the fellas played baseball for quite a while. He retired a few years ago, made $160 million, and has a net worth of $45 million. Now, if his lifestyle is pretty healthy, which appears to be, he is going to have to adjust because he obviously spent a lot of money. Now, here's the key thing. He continues to have ties to the Red Sox to promote his business and them, and he currently ranks number 17 in Major League history for career home runs. That's a big deal. Now, he began his major league career playing six seasons with the Minnesota Twins from 1997 to 2002. But then his career blossomed and he joined the Red Sox, which he played with for the rest of the time. Very unusual. Okay, he's a good player. They kept him around, but that's a big deal. But now during his playing days, his endorsement portfolio, which includes things like Dunkin' Donuts and New Balance, well, they paid him a pretty good chunk of change. Now, after retiring, Ortiz landed some deals with MasterCard and JetBlue and Coca-Cola, a thing called Buffalo Wild Wings and uh, Foxwoods, a casino in uh, Connecticut. He's also listed as a brand ambassador for the Boston Red Sox. Now, his endorsement deals are worth, well, an estimated $4.5 million a year. Now, since we've begun talking about some companies, we're going to have to do a quick little disclaimer, and then we'll give you a little more detail about exactly what Connecting Dots is all about. Connecting Dots is for educational use only. Investment performance is not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation or needs. Nothing should be construed as an individual recommendation. Due to our extensive holdings and that of our clients, you should assume that we have a position in all companies discussed and thus a conflict of interest should be assumed. What is Connecting Dots about? Paul Truesdell, the founder of Fixed Cost Financial says, quote, Connecting Dots involves looking backward at history, focusing on the here and now, and forecasting the future based on facts, figures, and old-fashioned common sense. I call it sniffing dirt. 
We have to trust the dots we know, discover those we don't, and accept the many we never fully know, understand, or are aware of. Life is full of luck, some good, some bad, some we created, and some never wanted. Enjoyed the ride we call life. To do otherwise is silly. Unquote. Okay, let's continue on with our uh, discussion here and talk a little bit about uh, Ortiz and his wife. Now, they have three children together. And in April of 2013, they announced that uh, he and his wife were separating. Now, they later got back together. So if you are an investigator, you would want to take a little bit of a look at that. But remember, the attack took place in the Dominican Republic. We'll talk a little bit about that location and their law enforcement and criminal justice system in a little bit. Now, since 2017, Ortiz and his wife and their two children have been living in Miami. Now, when that happened, it caused a couple of people up in the Massachusetts area, particularly Boston, kind of got their underwear in a bind because he maintains a home in the Dominican Republic. He's been doing that since February 2019, and they put the, uh, well, he's actually had a home there for a long, long time, but he put the home in Western Massachusetts up for sale in February 2019. So just a few months ago, he put it up for sale. So again, you've got some people who are not exactly happy that their favorite son, you know, Mr. Baseball there, kind of took off and is uh, doing something else. It kind of is what it is, right? Now, the Daily Mail has been doing some really great reporting on Ortiz, and uh, it says that he was shot by two police officers hired by Dominican Republic drug lord, a drug lord, who believed that the baseball player was having an affair with the drug lord's wife. Now, that's a big deal. Now, a fellow by the name of Leo Lopez, a spokesman for Ortiz, denied that the shooting had anything to do with a woman but said that the act was uh, from hired killers. Okay, so let's think this thing through. Get a guy who played baseball. He is from the Dominican Republic. He has recently sold his property up in Boston and moving in Miami, so he's living in circles in Miami in the Dominican Republic. If you look at the pictures of him online, he's got a lot of gold. I mean, he looks like a junior Mr. T. When he was shot, all the gold, in fact, after he got, um, they, they gave his possessions back, there are people who are holding his rings, his jewelry, and everything. I guess to say it wasn't a robbery, well, of course it wasn't a robbery, there are all these people around. And again, people beat the holy hell out of the guy that shot him. Here's the thing. If you are an investigator, would you follow the leads? Would you begin looking at the wife? Would you begin looking at maybe some really high corporate issues. Is this guy now really doing what we want him to do as a spokesperson for our brand? Are we happy about that? Could you have people who are really unhappy about him leaving Boston? And we have, of course, a possibility that we have a drug dealer and uh, he wants to get rid of him because he's having an affair. The question be, well, what has he done in the past? So the bottom line is uh, now we got a hit that appears, well, it's not, it doesn't appear. It is definitely with all, it looks, walks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it has feathers like a duck, it looks like it's a, looks like a duck, which means it looks like a hit. Now let's walk down memory lane and talk about a few people who've had a few things like that done to them. So for those of you who uh, live in New York and for those of you who follow the mafia, you have a fellow by the name of Paul Castellano who led the Gambino crime family for many years. Now, he conducted his business from a mansion in Staten Island. 
But in December 1985, Castellana, who was then 70, and one of his associates stepped out of a limousine outside the Sparks Steakhouse on East 46th Street. Now that's near 3rd Avenue. Three men walked up and, well, the assassins drew their semi-automatic weapons from under their trench coats and opened fire at very close range, striking Castellano and his associate about six times. Now bystanders were sent screaming and diving into the doorways. The gunmen, they fled on foot and um, walked into a, um, well, into a waiting car and sped away. Now remember, if you saw the video of the assassination attempt on David Ortiz. This guy walks up and he comes out of a car and walks right up to him in point blank range and blasts him in the back, right? Here's the key thing. Um, sounds a lot pretty familiar, doesn't it? Castellano and his associate, they fall dead. Well, people went screaming and bailing. Same thing with David Ortiz. And uh, Castellano and his associate, they fell dead on the ground beside the open doors of their black Lincoln limousine. Now, Castellano was laid, uh, he was laying face up. His head was slouched against the seat of the limousine, and he was sprawled out in a payment. payment. So, now, why do I bring that one up? Of all the things to bring up, why do I bring that one up? Well, I'm bringing it up because for those of you who follow Connecting Dots, and we can go back a few episodes, you know that I talked a lot about the television show on Showtime called Billions. In the season premiere this year, Chuck Rhodes and a buddy of his were at the Sparks Steakhouse. There you go. Now you're starting to make the connections, right? And one of the things they did, this is the very same Spark Steakhouse where Castellano got whacked. Chuck and his police union buddy are basically drunk, and they recreated the exact scene. Now, Billions is written in such a way that it tightly weaves old New York cultural references. And from a Connecting the Dots, you know, they follow the patterns, and I think it's just absolutely phenomenal. Now, we can go on and on, for example, especially with rappers, but um, all the different assassination and hits that went on. But there's another New York-style mafia hit, and we're going to talk about Carmine Galante. Connecting Dots is brought to you by Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing. It's better because it's simple and works. Break the mold. Be different. So in July of 1979, Mr. Galante 69 was slain in a hail of bullets fired from three ski-masked gunmen, apparently on orders from a rival crime family. He had been dining on the patio of a small Italian restaurant in Brooklyn. And so when you hire someone as a spokesperson, you might want to do your homework, okay? You want to make sure that you do not bring people on to promote your organization who are going to cause a problem with morals and uh, things that, well, it just kind of rubs you wrong. So like I said, when you hire somebody, you got to make sure that uh, they're a spokesperson. You might want to have a contract. In that contract, you might want to have some things called moral clauses, but you might want to have a whole lot more. Now, let me think about this. One of the things, if you have a good attorney and you're high profile, you might want to make sure that the person person you've hired is going to have proper security. You want to make sure they don't do stupid things like uh, Jared Fogel. You know, remember him, the subway pitchman? This is the guy who famously lost 200 pounds on a subway diet and some exercise, right? He pled guilty to federal charges of distributing child pornography and illicit sexual contact and conduct with a minor. You also had British supermodel. Remember her, Kate Moss? Yeah. Well, she was all over the front page of the Daily Mirror, a tabloid over in the United Kingdom, UK. 
for allegedly snorting cocaine. And uh, unfortunately, at the time, more than half a dozen companies said, you know what, we're going to kind of take a pass on you for a while. Now, the scandal resulted in just about everybody dumping on her and we're done. This was back in 2005. They concluded Chanel and H&M. At the time, she was earning about $7 million a year by doing endorsements. And then, of course, there's the ever-changing do-gooders. You know, when you have, for example, someone who wants to do something good and it's no longer PC or it's not as high on the PC ladder as other things, you can get bounced up. I mean, listen, it's really hard in today's world of uh, buttercups and snowflakes where you have uh, this competition over who is more politically correct and defining what politically correct is. And a good example would be the Susan Komen Breast Cancer Foundation. Now, years ago, they launched a co-branding campaign with Kentucky Fried Chicken. 2010, they called it Buckets, Buckets for Cure. And KFC donated 50 cents for every pink bucket sold, and they wound up donating $4.2 million again to the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation. About 5,000 restaurants participated, and it only went on from April and May of 2010. That's it. It's just two months. They raised $4.2 million. I think that's a really, I'd call that a success. I don't know about you, but I would. However, the partnership was short-lived. Boom. It was done. Why? I mean, they raised money. Well, here's the way it happened. You got some people who got a bug up their behind. They said, you know, uh, nutritionists say that, uh, and the media really jumped all over this thing. Oh, you know what? Um, While this is not a perfect match for cancer, uh, we appreciate the money, but, you know, high-fat diets and being overweight are two risks associated with breast cancer. So, in other words, you can't support uh, the Komen G or the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation. Kentucky Fried Chicken because your food sucks. Now, in other words, what they're saying, the media and these everybody else, is that Kentucky Fried Chicken is politically incorrect and you can't make this stuff up. So again, a restaurant that serves the public, serves various demographics of America, they they weren't they weren't good enough to give money and to partner with an organization. Now you can see where we're going with this. You've you've got these various dynamics that can get people who are in the process of endorsing. They're the they're the, the public person. You have organizations that want somebody to be endorsed. You, you sometimes you can't win. And that's the point of this thing. When you are in sports or when you are looking at people who are giving endorsements, when whatever you're doing, whether it's entertainment, I don't care what celebrity status you are. You better have people who know what the hell they're doing because there are some provisions in these contracts that can come back and bite you really bad in the behind. Now, here's a good example of a couple of things that you need to be paying attention to if you're in the business. Morals clauses can have provisions that, well, the contract provides for, you know, certain things you can and can't do, okay? It prohibits certain behavior, not just in your public life, but also in your private life. That's a big deal. Now, of course, there are the typical objectionable behaviors such as sexual acts and drug use and are commonly used in contracts with actors and actresses and film studios to make sure that the public image that is being sought is going to portray the studio in the right light. Now, as society has changed, these morals clauses have definitely gotten more liberal. But morals clauses today in certain contracts for, example, athletes uh, can be really tight. So you have morals clauses that also can involve things like divorce and separations and, again, preventing unmeritable cohabitation and having overnight guests of the opposite sex while children are present, there's a whole 
whole bunch of different things that can go on. Now, endorsement contracts, again, between, again, brands and famous figures, you got to be really careful about this because some of these companies can, uh, they're going to take on a significant amount of risk. So when they're contracting with athletes and celebrities, you're going to see more and more people try to weaken the contract rather than make it stronger, obviously. Now, here are some examples. At any time, in the opinion of the sponsor, the athlete becomes subjected to the public dispute, contempt, or scandal that affects the athlete's image or goodwill, then the company may, upon written notice to the athlete, immediately suspend or terminate the endorsement agreement and the athlete's services hereunder. In addition to any other rights and remedies that sponsor may have hereto under law or in equity. Now, I want to talk about that. Or in equity. Remedies. What does that mean? That means you can be sued for your bad behavior. That's right. So here's the thing. Regardless of what the behavior triggers and clauses are, the remedy for a violation may ultimately be really significant, right? You just lost your contract. You lost your brand. And they may seek other remedies. What would those be? Well, including but not limited to the termination of the agreement, right? Suspension of the agreement for a period of time. Or here's a key thing. It's called a clawback provision. Imposition of financial penalty for the behavior at issue without terminating a contract. In other words, you're not going to get paid as much or they want to be paid back for damages for breaching the contract. Now, here's the thing. You got somebody who is not an attorney who is sitting back and kind of just chilling out and you sign one of these contracts. If your behavior is bad, you are involved in things that are not good. The brand. Now, look, David got shot. Depending upon what happens, how this breaks in the in the realm of public opinion, you may have some of his people who are got him under contract as endorsement or as a brand spokesperson who may come back and say, this is not exactly the brand uh, message we want. You're done. Oh, and by the way, because of your bad behavior and because of the amount of money that we spent on advertising and marketing and all of that, we're going to claw back some of your money. In fact, if you don't have enough money, we're going to sue you and you're going to pay for a percentage of the cost of the production that is no longer going on with you. Now, what would you say to that? Oh... You might be saying, oh, that's not so good. Well, in 2012, the Dominican Republic, what exactly is that? I mean, have you been down there? Okay. If you have, you might have a good understanding of what's going on down there. You got that little big island down there. One side's Haiti, one side's the Dominican Republic. That might give you some idea what's going on there. You got Cuba over there to the, to the west. You got all the various islands around the area. But the Dominican Republic has a murder rate of 22.1 per 100,000. No big deal, right? Well, hang on a second. There were a total of 2,268 murders in the Dominican Republic in 2012. By 2017, the murder rate had significantly declined. It was about half that, down to 1,198. But the problem is, in the Dominican Republic, not exactly all the murders are accounted for. So the rate had dropped down to 14.9%. So, or 14.9, rather, per 100,000. Is that still high? I don't know. Maybe yeah, maybe no. In 2017, you had 347 homicides in Baltimore. Baltimore, Maryland happens to be the largest city in uh, Maryland, and it yielded a rate of 56 per 100,000. So I guess 22 per 100,000 in the Dominican Republic is not a big deal when you consider Baltimore had 56 per 100,000. That's per the FBI's annual crime reports. Now, Baltimore, if you know anything about it, it's pretty much a disaster. And uh, we could basically go on and on about uh, Baltimore. But let's take a look at the United States. So is this the murder capital of the world? No, not even close. There's about 5.3 murders per 100,000 in the United States in 2017. And if you take cities like Detroit and Chicago and Miami and 
now Dallas and Los Angeles again, you know, Baltimore. Yeehaw, there you go. Boy, they just continue to pop it up like sky high. The whole country's not killing itself. Basically, it's an urban issue problem. Very rarely do you have these kinds of issues in, in rural areas. So yes, the Dominican Republic is a hell of a lot more dangerous. And then when you're in a high-profile uh, position in life and you're also a high-profile bar owner and you're going to all these different clubs, you got to ask yourself a question. Is this sort of like an invitation for trouble? And would you have other people who would be saying, maybe you shouldn't be doing this, okay? Now, according to a 2011 police briefing that we've obtained from the New York Times, in 2013 it was reported that Dominican gangs have an estimated population of about 1,100 in New York City. That's 2013. Now it's way over 2,000, way, way over. So that's just in New York alone. So the connections between these suspected perps in the David Ortiz hit, which is what that was, and violent crime in the United States is pretty interesting, which makes me kind of want to say something that I heard from a, uh, a fellow not too long ago. They're not sending their best. So we've got a lot of countries that are uh, dumping uh, people here in the United States. We have immigration, legal and illegal. And since 2010, Nepal, for example, has 120% more people coming in the United States. Burma, 95%. Venezuela, 91%. Afghanistan, 84%. Saudi Arabia, 83%. Syria, 75%. Bangladesh. 62, Nigeria, 57, Kenya, 56, India, 47%, Iraq, 45%. My God, the whole world wants to get here, right? The absorption of all these people makes it tough on any society. Ethiopia, Egypt, Brazil, up, 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 up. And the Dominican Republic as well, 32%. They're the same as Ghana. China's even up 31%. Pakistan, Somalia. So we've got a lot of people coming in from all around the green earth. Now, what is likely to happen is you'll have some people begin to say and start to connect some dots about people from foreign countries coming here to the United States. Are they more violent? And will David Ortiz, um, well, will they use this case as an example of the problems when you have an excessive number of people coming into the country without having adequate assimilation processes in place? That could very well happen. Now, the Dominican Republic is basically now a, a transshipment point for Colombian drug dealers. And if you're going to Europe or United States or even to Canada, that is the place you want to go to now. Money laundering via Dominican Republican, uh, Republican-favored banks and drug cartels. Look, they got some pretty easy financial transactions down there. Everybody knows it. 2004, it was estimated that 8% of all the cocaine smuggled in the United States comes through the Dominican Republic. A lot of people don't know that. So a lot of drug traffickers, well, they're having a problem getting drugs, for example, from Venezuela and with fewer commercial flights. Uh, and again, uh, not exactly a lot of container sh shipping, all that. Tourism is down, but the Dominican Republic, yeah, not, not a big deal. They got 1,400 kilometers away, and it's just kind of an easy place to get up and out and into the United States. Now, cocaine pours largely uh, unabated across the border from Colombia with production in the Andean nation at record high and organized crime there is continuing. It is what it is. We all know that. So you got a lot of these illegal flights. They swing past, they drop, boom, done. And you've got all these go fast boats. And my God, Dominican Republic has just a massive amount of uh, 
coastline that makes it really easy. But here's the thing. They also have a very lively tourist center. Okay, so commercial flights going back and forth. It's a booming area. And again, the banking sector is just awash with narco dollars. Now, the jail and the criminal justice system there is uh, interesting at best. And a good example of what a joke it is is the fact that this guy, Cruz, who was arrested, well, he's holding, uh, he's in a cell, but people are filming him, okay, because uh, he's screaming out the window that uh, Cortez wasn't the intended target, and he's suggesting that uh, he was only given a brief description, he shot the wrong person. So, again, doesn't make any difference. It's just weird. Now, why do we bring all this up? Because there's a problem with the absolute mindset and culture in the Dominican Republic. And for those of you who may be from there who are getting upset, I don't care. It is what it is. Well, according to the Gallup poll in 2010, and this hasn't changed really at all since then, a very high percentage of the uh, Dominican population believes that it's just fine and dandy to pay for bribes. It's justified. There is a widespread acceptance of the practice. Now, here's what I want you to think about. You have people who come into the United States, right? They're from the Dominican Republic. They become citizens, they, right? They, we have a problem. So who do you hire? Who do you hire to be police officers? you got to hire people of the same mindset set the same culture and so as a result you're going to have police officers here in the United States they're going to be from the Dominican Republic that baseball players is going to happen but if that extremely high tolerance for nepotism and bribery and you know paying people off if that continues that weakens our criminal justice system i mean it literally is justified it's expected it's just not a big deal so that is something we should also be talking about will this incident cause people to begin going from one side to the other now here's the thing where are all of the gun control advocates on this? I don't hear them. I mean, it's, it's crickets. You don't hear anybody talking about gun control in where oh. else? Yeah, Dominican Republic. Silence. Why is that? We have a high-profile person that is nearly assassinated. There's a hit on him. Maybe, maybe not. But it's not PC because it didn't happen to a bunch of children at a high school. It's not PC because it didn't happen to a member of Congress. It's not PC because it didn't happen to the right political party of a member in Congress. It's not PC because it didn't happen to had the wrong race and sex of the perpetrator. I mean, when you're connecting dots, you have to remember it's quantitative and qualitative. Connecting dots is what we do. We're forecasting. We look at the facts and figures, but then we start to piece it together because there's always the rest of the story. That's what a good investigator always does. You begin to piece everything together. So let's take a little bit about uh, his finances. I mean, the man made nearly $200 million, right? He's got all these endorsement deals, but he actually only has $45 million. Not a lot of money. For somebody that made that kind of money, that's just not a lot of coin. Now, there was an interview with Ortiz in a magazine or an online publication called Market Watch, okay? And in there, he says that he likes real estate and that uh, he learned a long time ago that real estate uh, was a good investment. He says he's done very well, especially in the last 10 years. He sort of caught up for his well, failure to do things. He says he has uh, things like uh, other investments and bonds and stuff like that. He literally says stuff like that. And he gets his advice from an investment advisor. Now, I try to find out who this guy is and if he was making assets under management. We don't know, but he says, I've worked with this guy for a long time. I trust him a lot. He makes sure I don't do anything risky. And here's the question. Is the investment advisor, I don't know, don't care, but is the investment advisor... 
one of those guys in making assets under management. And a lot of you, if you're in sports, a lot of you guys are paying for your agents and your agents then is making, they're making a cut of the action and top of that, oh, they're managing you and they got you in the account and they got your lawyer and they got your documents and they're managing your money and just everybody's got a nickel and dime and getting a cut of your action. Again, that's, that's not what we do. And you might want to think about going through our SWAT training, our sudden wealth awareness training, even if you've been in the league for a while. So you got a good understanding that, you know, it, it takes time to really build up wealth. Slow wealth awareness training is, is really what you want. And you got to play some catch up for it. Uh, he also says that uh, they ask him, you know, what, did you get any guidance from coaches and fellow athletes when it came to retirement planning? He said, no, nah, not really. My question to you is that, you know, you guys, you know, you're, you're, you're hanging together. Why don't you start talking about this kind of stuff? You, you really ought to. If the, if the NFL, if the Major League Baseball, if any of these professional organizations had any intestinal fortitude, they would facilitate discussions among yourselves so you can make your own decisions. But remember, if they can keep you hungry and keep you in debt, you're going to work harder. And I really do think that a lot of your professional sports organizations would just assume you guys spend all your money because you do things that you might not otherwise do. If you had a boatload of money, let's just think about this. You make a boatload of money and then you retire early. A couple of guys have done that. A couple of gals have done that. It's not good for the sport, right? But then again, what do you give a shit about the sport? How about yourself? So he said that now, now we just, uh, you know, borrowing money is an easy thing to do. You know, people never understand why we make so much money and we wind up going broke. And he actually says uh, you can get bad habits. Well, and then you can get bad investments, which is something we talk about all the time. So David Ortiz, this guy's not dumb. He said, you get bad habits, you make bad investments. When you're playing with a lot of people and they approach you about things, you know, it sounds good and you end up losing a lot of money. More than likely, I would be willing to bet he, he made some bad decisions. So again, one of the things that uh, he says is, you know, like the NCAA is trying to help athletes get jobs at Fortune 500 companies. And, and uh, you know, they're trying to make sure that these students don't just completely go to school and fall flat on their face when they get their big contracts. And so he says, you know, what do you, what do you say about the, the pitfalls that have affected your fellow athletes? And here's what he said. He said that he's been dealing with one advisor for 15 or 20 years, and he considered himself very lucky because previously, um, you know, he just didn't save the money when he was younger, okay? And one of the things he also talked about was, you know, his fears of getting hurt in his home country. So one of the items that's interesting is that it's like anything else. When you make it big and then you start to come towards the end of your career, you start going, maybe I should start saving some real coin. Now, he knew, he knew that his home country was violent. And before a game in 2015 in Fenway Park, he told a Dominican journalist that the violence in his native country was way out of control and he didn't feel comfortable carrying a firearm to protect himself in public. Okay. In other words, the idea had actually crossed his mind. But he didn't feel it was the right thing to do. And he said, quote, this is getting out of hand. I think they need to deal with it strongly because I like going to my country and I know that the people love you and they're going to take care of you. And that was his idea. The people who loved him would take care of him and make sure he didn't get hurt. Is that ever, well, rather childish? I thought it was also interesting. He actually said, I don't want to walk around carrying an AK-47 or have one inside of my car. I don't want to walk around everywhere with a bunch of guns. I'm not a gun carrier. He said, I'm not a guy looking for trouble, but, uh, you know, at the moment, sort of demands that you do that. So uh, 
David's not the only one that's uh, got some problems. I mean, Dave, uh, Barbara Cochran, you know, you might want to remember her from um, Shark Tank. Her brother was found dead in his hotel room in the Dominican Republic in April. Uh, she said her brother died at the end of April uh, while his, on an annual trip to the Dominican Republic and, uh, with a friend, according to TMZ. Uh, he's 60 years of age, and he's from New Jersey, and he apparently died of a heart attack. And she didn't think there was an autopsy. It was done on him. Now, here's the problem, okay? They're saying he passed away from natural causes. But the death is just one of a string of mysterious deaths by U.S. tourists in a country in the last few months. The State Department has said that many family members have confirmed deaths of at least seven American citizens, including John Cochran, last year. Now, here's what we do know. The rest of the story looks as though that some of these people who mysteriously died, died because the booze they were drinking, right, on vacation, party hardy, drinking up, was poisoned, okay? Now, why would it be poisoned? Well, it's not that it was necessarily poisoned in the sense trying to kill people, but uh, it was combined with dangerous other chemicals. Blood samples have been drawn. The FBI is now investigating, but don't hold your breath there. But it looks like the incidents are not necessarily isolated. Um, and again, you have places down there like the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. You know, you've got a lot of nice places down there, but they all have a similarity. Very healthy adults. They drank, and um, some of them had uh, some drinks from their mini bars, and then he becomes suddenly sick. Now, that's an interesting connection, right? It appears as though somebody is taking the good booze and putting in the bad booze into the mini bars, and it may be being served at bars uh, as well. Again, they're starting to make a connection that these people are all falling, you know, dead after drinking from their mini bars. And again, some of them have noted that it tends to be vodka, and instead it's just pure grain alcohol. So some forensic scientists and, and people from John Jay College are down there and they're looking into this thing. And uh, I guess, all, you know, the typical thing, nausea, the vomiting, and, and then the poisoning from methanol, alcohol, and pesticides. So just so you know, methanol is not an alcohol that's safe for consuming con- consumption. You might just, just like, like drink an antifreeze. So adulterated alcohol and uh, is a bad deal. Very, very toxic. So you got health inspectors down there. But this is a country that is used to bribes. Remember that. This is a country where you can pay everybody off. So while it may have been altered and deliberately put there, who's going who's gonna to do anything? about it. Now, the Dominican National Police they've, uh, say they've dismantled five labs that manufacture alcohol. That's not safe for, for, for consumption. In fact, they had a bartender at the Hard Rock, uh, Angel Santana, 43, uh, said the uh, contamination and the claims are not possible. I've been working here for nine years and everything has always been very, very safe. Okay. But then they did some clinical tests and they said, uh, yeah, they've got a problem here. Some things are all kind of connecting together and you're having these heart attacks. So the hotel says it uh, only buys unopened products from licensed, reputable vendors. I don't doubt it. I, I don't doubt it. Because, um, you know, every package that is, you know, wrapped up is ne- can never be tampered with, right? I mean, like Tylenol years ago. Remember when all the people died from Tylenol? Yeah, you can screw with packages. Now, this is what is going on in the Dominican Republic. I'm not, sh- I'm not shitting on the Dominican Republic. What I'm doing is I want you to think about what the ramifications are. If you're a tourist, are you going to go down there? You might. Remember the movie The Wolf of Wall Street? People who, uh, you know, said they will bad boy syndrome, you know, girls, sometimes, you know, they, they like those bad boys and uh, guys like the bad girls, right? Everybody wants to uh, marry their mother, but they want to date the, uh, you know, the hooker down the street. It's always the same thing. Now, you may be uncomfortable with that, but here's the thing. Grow up and get a set, boys and girls. This is the real world. This is what connecting dots and forecasting is all about. 
It's about looking at a situation. So I think what you're going to see here is you're going to have some people who are going to say, you know, I don't know, another Staten Island woman just mysteriously died down there. Uh, nurse's death in July 2018 at the Hard Rock. Uh, American tourist David Harrison, he fell ill in his room. He died April 14th. Robert Bell Wallace, 67, he died. Hmm. May 25th, Miranda Warner, 41 from Pennsylvania. She died in a room at the Luxury Berea, uh, Bahia rather, resort. Hmm. Five days later, a Maryland couple. Nathaniel Holm, 63, and Cynthia Day, 49 were dead in their room at the Grand Bahia. Hmm. Then you got uh, Yvette Short from Philadelphia. She died in June 2018 drinking from her mini bar at a resort. Then you got uh, Leela Cox from Staten Island, and she died, oh, in her room. Not clear what was going on there, but uh, okay. So you have these people from Oklahoma attending a Jimmy Buffett fan uh, deal thing, vacation thing, and you know a whole bunch of them got sick. A bunch of people from Oklahoma, and they had a, basically had hell in paradise. So, you know, Dana Flowers, a travel agent who vacationed uh, in the area, you know, was like, uh, well, you know, this is a cool thing. People are having fun, but they got a mysterious illness. So look at all the different people that are going to be affected by this situation. Now we start connecting all these dots together. People are coming back really sick. 47 of the 114 people from Oklahoma got sick. I mean, really sick. Some of them were so sick they couldn't leave their rooms. Now, why does this make a big deal to me? Why am I talking about it? Well, I'll tell you. It has to do with some really interesting things that I also experienced. Now, back in 2009, I had to uh, go to a business convention in Mexico, Cancun. And um, it's one of those things we kind of had to do. And I wound up getting the swine flu, and that caused me to get uh, some very serious health issues back in that time. I recovered, I'm fine and dandy, not a big deal. But when you experience something like that, that's one of those little things that you continue to connect the dots. Okay, nah, Swine flu, could have gotten it here, could have gotten it anywhere, not a big deal. The death count continues to grow. We had a 78-year-old man from Ohio who uh, suddenly died after dinner and drinks at another resort and spa in the Dominican Republic. So authorities are looking at bootleg liquor in these hotel mini bars as a potential killer. You have a guy who attempted to kill David Ortiz. You have a fella who has, you know, made a lot of money, but he doesn't have the kind of money that he had years ago. He's living in Miami and in, well, the Dominican Republic. The Dominican Republic next to Haiti, which is truly a shithole. Everybody knows that. No matter what the Clintons say they did, it didn't improve. You've got a big border and a lot of guards, but you got people that bribe all day long. you got uh, the Colombians that are still manufacturing cocaine and got a lot of people manufacturing boats that go zoom, zoom, zoom into these... Uh, well, big coastline along the Dominican Republic. You got a lot of guys in uh, New York and up north that uh, do crimes, and they seem to go back to that area. And you've got somebody who may have been doing the hokey pokey with somebody's wife, and well, somebody's got a, well, his girlfriend or whatever it is, but uh, you know, these drug kingpins, they, they tend to play for keeps. You got a guy who is beloved by his city, but recently left, and people went, what the hell are you doing, man? You bailed out on us. It's like uh, Huckabee, you know, remember him? He's a governor who left the state, now he's living, I believe, in the panhandle of uh, Florida. Don't blame them. But when people, you know, are so into their local government, we're party and everything else, and they retire and go someplace else, some people kind of like, oh man, really? I mean, I guess you can always be in Arkansas and then move to New York and become a U.S. senator, and nobody really cares about that stuff anymore. But here's the key thing. When you have a culture that accepts bribery, 
bribery and payoffs. Anybody want to wonder what's going on there? Will you be going there anytime soon? One person who is in the uh, travel industry said, I will not be going to the Dominican Republic anytime soon. So here's the question. Extrapolate this. What do you think would happen if you have an attorney that specializes in entertainment law that happened to be listening to this podcast? And they start thinking, maybe I need to brush up and bone up and start making some provisions a little stronger. What happens if you have people who are in the national advertising arena and they say, you know, I listen to this podcast called Connecting Dots and this guy Truesdale was really talking about. Maybe, uh, you know, some things can happen that can really cause us uh, some really real big damage. We're throwing 10, 20 million dollars at this advertising campaign, and uh, maybe we should have some clawback provisions in there. You know, look what happened to Jared and Subway. You know, I mean, that was that was a kick in the teeth. So if you're in sports and you're in the entertainment industry, you might make sure that you've got an attorney that knows what the hell they're doing. And if you're going to be paying more for that, maybe you need to reduce the costs in other areas. Just saying that one of the things you might want to do is pay very careful attention to exactly what in the hell you're doing, because this stuff could get real, real fast as people simply begin to connect the dots. Oh, 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 oh,